Well, good morning, church family. How are we doing today? Wow, that good, huh? <laughs> I hope you're having a good summer. You know, um, one of the things that you might not know about me is that um, I have a terrible sense of direction. In other words, I get lost easily and often. All you have to do is ask Donna. <clears throat> Can anyone else relate to that? Does anybody else have that problem? Okay, thank you that I'm not the only one here. What I've learned about myself is I need a map that shows me where to go. And so I'm extremely thankful for the map apps that I have on my phone, right? They've become my reliable guide. So when Donna says, why are we turning here, assuming I'm lost again? I say, well, because the app told me to. I have no idea, but the app told me to, so we're turning. The map has become my reliable guide. But you know what I've also learned over life is not only do I need a map to show me where to go, I need a map to show me how to live. And you know, here at Bible, uh, Uniontown Bible Church, we believe that the Bible is that map for all of us. Unfortunately today, <clears throat> most Americans do not believe the Bible is literally God's Word to us. I say that because the Barna Group, just a couple weeks ago, released 40 years of research on what Americans believe about the Bible. I've got those on a slide for you that I hope you can see. Let me explain what this graph is representing. <clears throat> the horizontal axis is referring to the years from 1984 to 2022. The vertical axis is referring to the percentage of Americans. Two lines are going up. One line is going down. That bottom line that's going up, in 1984, 12% of Americans believed the Bible was just a book of fables. Today, that's 29%. It's gone up two and a half times in less than 40 years. That line that's up at the top there that's going up gradually was in the mid-40s. Now it's at 49%. And that line represents Americans who believe the Bible is inspired, but not literal. In other words, that view has really no help to us if we're trying to figure out life. Is God's promise about salvation true when we put our faith in Christ? Or is it not true? We believe here at Uniontown that it is literally true. And then the one line that's going down it was 40% in 1984 and it's down to 20%. It's been cut in half. And that line represents Americans who believe that the Bible is literally the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? That change? So what does this mean? Eight out of ten Americans, when you go to the store, eight out of ten Americans do not believe the Bible is literally the Word of God. Barna summarized this research when he said it this way, <clears throat> at this point, a declining proportion of the overall American population now 20% believes the Bible is literally true word for word. About half believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but not everything should be taken literally. While almost 3 in 10 say the Bible is an ancient book of fables in history, 
Belief in the literal Bible is declining, part of a general pattern of declining religiosity among the adult American population. You know, I don't find these statistics surprising, and you probably don't either, but I certainly find them disappointing. But you know, why is it that we have to believe in a literal Word of God? And it's very simple. Without being able to understand the Bible literally, you and I are left in a dilemma of guesses as to what God is like and what He expects of us. And as I was thinking of this topic for this message this morning, I became very thankful. And you know what I became thankful for? Uniontown Bible Church. Aren't you thankful for Uniontown Bible Church? Because we are still a place where you can go and the Word of God is taught as literally true. We're not the only church that believes that, but we're one of the churches that believe that. And you can come confidently, whether it's on Sunday morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it doesn't matter what day of the week you come here, what age group you're in, whether it's kids or adults, We believe the Bible is literally the Word of God, word for word, and we use it as the text to teach us how to live life. Amen? I hope you're not taking that for granted. Sometimes when you're so accustomed to doing something and going somewhere, whether you're on a vacation and enjoying a beautiful uh, scene that you don't normally see, but you get used to it, don't get used to the fact that we can learn the Bible at a place like Uniontown Bible Church. Take advantage of it and come and learn and be equipped for life. And so as a result of this research, it really spurred me on to want to talk about this topic this morning. And I want to encourage all of us, including myself, to strengthen our grip and our belief that the Bible is literally the Word of God in a culture that no longer believes that is true. And so what I want to do, for those who are taking notes, I'm going to give you four core beliefs that I think are really important for us to grasp and hold on to when it comes to the Bible. And then I'm going to give you three responsibilities that we all have as a result of those core beliefs. Now I know that there's going to be a lot of information I'm giving you this morning. Okay, Hopefully Mike is able to stay up with me on the slides. Okay, But if you miss something, don't panic. Just watch this. A message online when it's available and you can fill in what you're missing. But let's start with the core beliefs. What do we believe about the Bible? The first core belief is that we believe the Bible is reliable. It's our secure foundation for living life. You and I can stand on the solid rock of Scripture and build our life based upon what God's Word says. In 2 Timothy 3.16, which I know many of you have memorized, it says all Scripture is inspired by God. Right? That word inspired literally means God breathed. Now what does that mean? That's trying to help us understand that the origin of Scripture is from the mouth of God. The Bible is the breathed out words of God given in the original manuscripts. I love how Geisler, one of my former professors, summarized this concept of inspiration. I think it's up on the screen. Inspiration is that mysterious process by which the Holy Spirit worked through the human prophets without destroying their individual personalities and styles 
to produce divinely authoritative and inerrant writings. One of the reasons I like what he said here is because he used the word mysterious. It's kind of hard to understand how God really did this, but He did do it. And He did it in such a way that He worked through individuals using their skills and styles and personalities, but the end product was that we have the very words of God in the Bible that we have today. Now you might be asking, well, how did he do this? Well, a hint is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God so superintended the process of communicating His words through prophets that they ended up writing exactly what He wanted them to write. And He did that by moving them. Now what does that mean, move? This word is also used in Acts 27.15. And in that passage, Paul is on a ship on the way to Rome. And that boat encounters a terrible storm. And they're fighting the storm for two weeks trying not to capsize. These professional sailors are trying to keep the ship afloat and moving in the right direction. But notice what it says in Acts 27.15. When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. We were moved along. Even though those sailors were trying to control that ship, the wind had its way and moved them where it wanted them to go. And the same thing is true with the Bible. God moved those authors in such a way that they ended up writing exactly what He wanted written. In fact, you could say it this way. End says it this way. We believe inspiration of Scripture extends to the actual words and to every part of the entire Bible. As a result, the Bible is God's reliable and authoritative guide for life. Isn't that encouraging? We have God's words in the Bible that we have today so that we can be trained for life. Now, some of you, are, I know, are very sharp and good studiers of the Word, and you know that the inspiration refers to the original manuscripts of Scripture. But you know what? We don't have those anymore. We only have copies of the original. So it's a great question. Well, how accurate is the Bible that you and I have today? I'm very thankful for the scholarship discipline, the scholastic discipline of textual criticism. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but it's scholarship that seeks to determine the original meaning of ancient texts. And this scholarship over the years has confirmed that the Bible we have today is accurate to the original manuscripts. And I love how Dr. Stewart summarizes this truth in this long quote, so bear with me. 99% of the original words in the New Testament are recoverable with a very high degree of certainty. In the case of the Old Testament, the figure might be more like 95%. When the words with a fairly high degree of certainty are added, we may be confident that we're able to read, reflect upon, and act upon what is practically equivalent to the original itself. There is no area of Christian faith or practice that actually stands or falls 
on textual studies. Isn't that encouraging? Do you catch what he's saying there? The Bible that you and I have right now is virtually equivalent to the original manuscripts that God breathed out through the original writers of His Word. That should be an encouragement to us. The Bible's inspired and God has preserved it and it's reasonable for us to believe it. Does that make sense to y'all? Now let me share something with you. This has really helped me over the years. How can we reconstruct the original from the copies? Isn't that a good question? Let me share an illustration that's helped me significantly. How many of you here, I'm sure everybody has a tape measure or a ruler at home, don't you? Okay. When you measure something, how do you know an inch is an inch? Have you ever seen the original standard upon which your measuring device is measured? Did you even know there was a standard? There is the United States standard yard on a platinum bar in Washington, D.C., upon which all of our measuring devices are based. Now let's imagine the times are tough right now and somebody breaks in, steals that platinum bar, melts it down, and sells it. Would your ruler still measure an inch? Would your tape measure still measure an inch? And the answer is obviously yes. It's just that the original is not there anymore, but we have copies that were based on the original. But you know what's so interesting about that illustration? That actually happened in Great Britain. I think it was in 1834, the uh, British Standard Yard was stored in a building, and that building burned down to the point that it severely damaged their original yard. And so what did they do? They converted to the metric system. No. Uh, <laughs> what did they do? They had so many copies of the original that they recreated the original from the copies. And that's basically what happened with God's Word. We have thousands of copies and partial copies of the original. And we've been able to reconstruct those with 99% accuracy and the other 1% doesn't relate to specific faith issues. And so what I want to encourage you today is don't be afraid to say that you live by the Bible because the Bible is a reliable document down to the very words upon which you are reading. Are you encouraged by that? Praise the Lord for that. So God has given us His Word and He's preserved it. That's the first primary truth I want us to grasp. The second truth, or second belief, is truth. We believe the Bible is truthful in all that it covers. If you can agree with me that the Bible contains the literal Word of God, word for word, the Bible that we have, notice what it says in Numbers 23.19. This is what God wants us to know about Him. God is not a man that he does, so He does not lie. He's not human, so He does not change His mind. He has, ne has He ever spoken and failed to act? Has He ever promised and not carried it through? God doesn't lie. So what does the Bible contain? His truth. And notice what Jesus actually says in John 17. I love what He says here. He says, I, this is His prayer to the Father. 
I have given them Your Word, Father, and Your Word is truth. Wow! It says it right there. Your Word is truth. When we watch the news today, everybody claims to know what the truth is for them. Right? But you know what? God's Word is truth. It's not exhaustive in what it covers, but what it covers, it covers truthfully. And you and I can depend upon it, rely upon it, and live by it. The Bible is authoritative truth for you and for me. So two things I want to catch so far. So far, the Bible is reliable down to the very words, and that's why we teach it that way here. Second, the Bible contains God's truth, what He wants us to know about Him and how He wants us to live. And the third thing is the Bible equips. We believe the Bible trains us for life. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Uh, again, let me, read, let me actually read this passage to you. All Scriptures breathed out by God, which we talked about, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I have a little diagram here that I love that I think really helps point out the four things that that passage says the Bible does for us. Notice teaching, training, reproof, correction. When the Bible says it teaches us, what does that mean? It educates us. It instructs us. It imparts knowledge to us. The things that God wants us to know about Him. It reproves us, and that means it shows us when we are wrong, when we've gone the wrong way, because it contains truth. It correct us, corrects us. It shows us how to get back on the path. And then I love that word train. The Bible trains us. And in that culture, that word meant holistic training of your mind, of your morals, and of your character. Are we missing that today, or what? in our society. We need training of mind to be in harmony with God's will. We need to develop our morals based on God's Word. And we need to live it out with a life of character. So the fruit of the Bible's work in us is that we are equipped for life. So the Bible's reliable. The Bible is truth. The Bible equips. And the fourth thing I want you to see is the Bible is a means to a relationship with God. We believe the Bible helps us to enjoy intimacy with God. Notice what it says in John 15 where Jesus says this, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I've kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, what Jesus is saying here is He lived in harmony with God's will. He enjoyed a love relationship with the Father. And we get to do the same thing when we abide in His words. That means that we live in the Word of Christ. We live by the Word of Christ. We listen to the Word of Christ. We reflect on the Word of Christ. And we hold fast to the Word of Christ. And so what I want to show you is a compass. I've decided to I need a compass for life, so this is my compass for life. I put those four things into a compass for you. You can stand upon the reliability of Scripture because it's accurate down to the very Word. It's equivalent to the original documents that God communicated to His prophets and apostles. It contains His truth. It equips us for life. Our mind, our morals, our character. And it's a means to relationship with God. And so the Bible is our compass. 
in a society that has lost its way, you and I must strengthen our grip on the belief that the Bible really is the Word of God because it's reliable and it is true. Now that moves me to my second point for this morning. We've been through four of the first, first point. Now I want to talk about our responsibility. In light of our beliefs about the Bible here at Uniontown Bible Church, you and I have a responsibility. And I'm just going to hit three. There's, there's others that we could talk about. And our primary responsibility is you and I must guard our heart in how we respond to God's Word. I want to look at three warning passages in Hebrews. Hebrews uh, was written to help the readers understand that they were falling away from the word they heard about Jesus and the superiority of the new covenant. But I think these truths apply to the whole Bible as well. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that our responsible responsibility is that we don't drift, but we cling to the teachings of Scripture. Don't drift, but we cling to the teachings of Scripture. You know what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How are you doing with your understanding of Scripture? Are you clinging to the teachings of Scripture? Or because you become so familiar with it, and you've been a Christian so long, like me, it's easy to start drifting from the simple and profound teachings of God's Word. That word drift is talking about carelessly allowing a ship to miss its harbor because the mariner wasn't paying attention. You and I have the responsibility to hold tight to God's Word and His teaching so that we don't miss His expectation for our life. Now, I love how Dr. Barclay, New Testament scholar, summarizes this verse. This is what he says. For most of us, the threat of life is not so much that we should plunge into disaster, but that we should drift into sin. There are few people who deliberately and in a moment turn their backs on God. There are many who day by day drift farther and farther away from Him. We must continually be on the alert against the peril of the drifting life. You know, if you're honest with yourself, are you drifting from the teachings of Scripture? If you are, you better start holding on tight and pull in close so that you can live by God's Word. Because if you don't, this verse is giving us a vivid picture of a ship drifting to destruction because the pilot sleeps. And so what I want to encourage us today, one of our responsibilities is we don't fall asleep at the wheel of our life. We have to stay close to God's Word and His teaching. Strengthen our grip on it so that we can live it out and allow it to become our guide for life. So the first thing, first responsibility for you and me this morning, how are we doing with holding on tight to God's Word or are we drifting? The second thing I want us to look at, second responsibility, don't deny, but yield to the authority of God's Word. Don't deny, 
but yield to the authority of God's Word. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it says something very interesting. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. And I want to pause for a moment. I want to talk about that word says. You know why I want to talk about that word? Because we believe the Bible is inspired to the very word. Right? And so that word is in the present tense. And what's so interesting about that is this was written 2,000 years ago, approximately. And the author of Hebrews is saying the Holy Spirit is saying to the readers at that moment in the present tense. This is what He's saying to them. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You know why that's so interesting to me? It's saying the Holy Spirit still speaks through His Word. And you know what it, it, this is so interesting is because this is a quote from Psalm 95, which was written a thousand years earlier. The Holy Spirit was, re, was speaking to that audience, but the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, He's still speaking today and He's telling you the same thing. Don't harden your heart when you hear His Word. When does the Holy Spirit speak? Notice the word today. You know what? The Holy Spirit today is speaking right now to you through this passage. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Now let me talk about that just for a minute. In that culture, your heart was considered the center of your whole personality, your intellect and your will. And to harden your heart meant to be stubborn, refuse to believe, and refuse to yield. And so what basically the author of Hebrews is saying is, hey, don't bow up. Don't become stubborn. Don't refuse to believe God's Word because God's Word has authority over you because it's His words that He inspired for you and I to follow. Now, there's a great illustration that John MacArthur has on this passage. I memorized it many years ago. I think I still have it pretty accurate. If not, I'll just make it my own. <laughs> but I want you to imagine, we've had some 100 degree days lately, right? And I don't know if you're outside, but let's imagine it's a 100 degree day and the sun is beating down and you're in your backyard. There's not a cloud in the sky. You're not in the shade. You're in the full sun. And you've got, in this hand, some clay. In this hand, you've got some wax. You put them on the ground. The sun is going to have the different effect on both of those things, isn't it? And this is his illustration. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. If your heart is not melted in faith, it'll be hardened in unbelief. Y'all, I just want to encourage you. God's Word is there for us to follow. God's Word is there for us to yield to. Not fight and pick and choose. We are to yield like the wax and melt and follow our Savior. So we need to guard our hearts to ensure that we're yielding to God's leadership through His Word and not rebelling as well as help our families do the same. You know what? If you have kids, guess what? Our responsibility is to help them to understand and apply and live out their faith too. Right? It's not just for us, but it's for our families. So we've learned two things, two responsibilities that we have. One is we must make sure we don't drift from the teachings of God's Word. We have to hold tight to it. Second, we can't deny the leadership 
that God has through His Word when He's speaking to us. We have to yield to His leadership. And the third thing is we should not doubt His Word, but we should believe God in His promises. Notice what it says in Hebrews 4.2. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Now let me just pause here for a minute. When he said, for indeed we've had good news preached to us, he's talking about the audience he's writing to. But the word they heard, the Old Testament wilderness generation, the word they heard didn't profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Now before I say a couple things about faith, let me share what faith is not. And I hope you appreciate this funny illustration. A pastor's car ran out of gas. His wife, who was a passenger, remembered seeing a gas station about a half mile back down the road. So he got out of the car, started to search the trunk for a container, but the only thing he could find was his baby grandson's portable potty. So that had to do. He trudged to the gas station, carefully filled it, and carried it back to the car and started to pour the contents from the potty into the gas tank. Driving by was a former member of his church, He recognized his former pastor in need and stopped his car to offer help. As he approached, he saw the the pastor pouring the contents of the potty into the tank. And the man gasped and said, if I had known you had faith like that, pastor, I would have never left your church. (laughs) Uh, That is not what faith is, okay? Faith is not working up a belief to make anything you want happen. Faith is simply trusting God to do what He promised. Truth, God's truth, must be united with faith for it to have a benefit in our lives. Listen to this statement. Evidence of true faith is action in harmony with what we claim to believe. Let me read that again. Evidence of true faith is action in harmony with what we claim to believe. Now, Dallas Willard said it much more profoundly than I just did. But I want to read this to you. We don't believe something merely by saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it, we believe something when we act as if it were true. Let me say that again. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. The Bible was not given for our curiosity, but to change our lives. It must be believed and it must be lived out. Hebrews 6.19 says something very encouraging for the person who chooses to trust in God and His Word. He says the Word becomes a steadfast anchor of the soul. Isn't that a great description? The Word becomes a steadfast anchor of the soul. Can you picture an anchor that's grabbed a rock and can't be moved? That's what happens when we choose to believe God in His promises. In our turbulent times, we need an anchor for our soul, don't we? The wise person is the one who chooses to believe God and His promises and act accordingly. This will enable us to stand firm and be immovable in the face of temptations, our crazy culture, 
in the storms of life. So you and I must be careful not just to know the facts about the Bible, but to believe them and show that by living it out. So I warned you this morning, we've talked about a lot of things, but let me just kind of summarize this for you and we'll conclude. Four things that really make the Bible a compass for life. The Bible is reliable. You can build your life upon it because it's accurate down to the very words that we have today. It equips us for life holistically. It trains our mind, our morals, and our character. And it provides a relationship with God. It truly is our compass for life. And because of what the Bible is, there's three things that you and I have to do. And I plead with you and I plead to myself. Don't let Scripture drift away from you. Hold on tight to its teaching. Yield to the teaching of God's Word. And choose to believe it and live it out. And so my application, I just have three questions for you this morning. First, are you clinging to God's Word or drifting? This is a great question to ask yourself. Are you clinging to God's Word? Are you drifting? Be honest with yourself. How are you drifting? Because we're all probably drifting in some way. How are you drifting? Address it and hold tight to God's Word. Second, are you yielding to the Word's authority over your life or are you hardening your heart to it? Don't harden your heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us and say, do not harden your heart when you hear God's Word, but yield to it. And the third thing is, does your evidence, does, the, does your life evidence your faith in God's Word by your actions? We can't just talk about our faith. We have to live our faith. And a great slogan I've lived by for many years now is, I have to be the message. Be the message. Live out your faith. So even when our culture is saying otherwise, we must strengthen our grip on God's Word by clinging to it, yielding to it, and believing it because it is literally the Word of God to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for this morning. Again, thank You for a place like Uniontown Bible Church where we can come and talk about Your Word. Thank You so much that You inspired the writers of Scripture and You have uh, preserved Scripture so that the Bible we have today we can reflect on as though it's equivalent to the original.